Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal, the Continuing Church of God. Today I'd like to talk about some leaders that, if you have a Church of God background, you've heard of. Uh, if you don't have a Church of God background, maybe you've heard of one, maybe not the other. I'd like to talk about Martin Luther, the famous Protestant reformer, and Herbert W. Armstrong, who in a sense was a Church of God reformer. I'm going to talk about some of the similarities the two men had, and I'm also going to talk about their differences, and probably more on the differences than the similarities. Uh, this is going to involve probably a little less scriptures than I usually do, because I'm going to go through quotes uh, from or about these men to show the difference. Does it make sense that you should be in the type of church that Martin Luther endorsed, or the type of church that Herbert Armstrong endorsed? In terms of similarities, uh, both, in a sense, were reformers. Uh, Martin Luther was uh, raised as a uh, Roman Catholic, became a Catholic uh, monk and priest, and then set about what's called the Protestant Reformation. He was highly involved in that to try to reform the Church of Rome to some degree. Uh, he separated from it, but he did keep a lot of their doctrines. The late Herbert Armstrong was born a Quaker uh, after he started to study the Bible. Uh, he became associated with the Church of God uh, Seventh Day, started to attend for a while, but when they had clear errors, they acknowledged their errors, and they wouldn't correct their errors, Herbert Armstrong felt he had no choice but to leave and did his own form of a reformation. As far as other similarities, what a lot of people don't realize is that Martin Luther, contrary to the view of some current Protestant leaders, actually taught the Ten Commandments. I'd like to read uh, what he claimed. This is from Martin Luther's writing. It's called uh, The Small Clad Papers from 1537. God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust him and, and gladly do what he commands. The fruits of sin are afterwards the evil deeds which are forbidden in the Ten Commandments. We hold the law was given by God first to restrain sin from threat and the dread of punishment and by the promise and offer of grace and benefit. And I'm going to read something from his short catechism of 1529. Teach them, first of all, these articles, namely the Ten Commandments. But as for those who will not learn, let them be told they deny Christ and are not Christians. And that's interesting because many Protestant theologians these days don't actually believe or teach that you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Now, the average Protestant who attends church services does believe that they're supposed to do this, but a lot of their theologians and uh, pastors don't actually believe this. And I'd like to read something also from Martin Luther's uh, small catechism explanation. He says, Do you believe you're a sinner? That's the question. Answer, yes, I believe I'm a sinner. How do you know this? From the Ten Commandments, which I have not kept. The Ten Commandments are law of God. Martin Luther also wrote, this is from his treatise on good works of 1520, this is March 29th, 1520. Whoever wishes to know and do good works needs know nothing else than God's commandments. Thus Christ says in Matthew 19, if you'll enter into life, keep the commandments. And when the young man asked him, Matthew 19, what shall he do to inherit eternal life? Christ sets before him nothing else but the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to read something from a letter he wrote called Against the Sabbatarians. 
For even if Moses had never appeared and Abraham had never been born, the Ten Commandments would have had to rule in all men from the very beginning, as they indeed did and still do. Why do I mention all of that? For those who have a Church of God background, you may recall that after the death of Herbert Armstrong, the individuals who ended up in power over in that particular church started to teach against the Ten Commandments. They said the Ten Commandments were not before Moses, but Martin Luther taught the opposite. He, they said the uh, Ten Commandments were not before now, Martin Luther taught the opposite, and that they were done away, but Martin Luther never taught that. And those people who uh, changed the name of their church later, and they considered themselves Protestant. Well, Protestants basically are those who followed the teachings of the movement of Martin Luther, and they weren't actually doing that. Well, but I said this is similar to what Herbert Armstrong taught. So what did he teach? He taught, quote, The Ten Commandments were first made known to Adam in the Garden of Eden. We read the answer in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and by death sin, so death passed from all men, for that all have sinned. And in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. And you read the 13th verse. Yet sin was imputed because death did reign from Adam to Moses. There must have been a law from Adam's time. What is sin? What's the Bible definition? Sin is, the, the answer is in First John 3, 4, the transgression of the law. And this is from an, an article Herbert Armstrong wrote called Were the Ten Commandments Enforced Before Moses? Now, Herbert Armstrong wrote a lot of other things about the Ten Commandments, but I decided to quote that particular one because he felt that the Ten Commandments were from the beginning. Martin Luther pretty much said the same thing, and that way they were similar. Another area that they were similar is both officially taught you're supposed to base your doctrine on the Bible alone. The rallying cry of Martin Luther's Protestant Reformation movement was sola scriptura, which is Latin for uh, scripture alone. And Herbert Armstrong taught, uh, you weren't supposed to believe him, but you're supposed to believe the Bible. And I'm going to get to that later. Now those were the official teachings of the two men, although sadly they were not the real teachings for, for one of them. And I'll get into that, that later. Now one doctrine that we have in the continuing Church of God that uh, some who are outside the Church of God disagree with, or make fun of, if you will, is the idea of what happens to the state of the dead. Are the, are the dead asleep? Are they uh, currently in heaven or some other place? Uh, what, what's the situation there? Well, I'd like to read what something about Martin Luther and then something from Martin Luther. This is from something called Martin Luther and William Tyndale on the state of the dead. Says, quote, the immediate cause of Luther's stand on the sleep of the soul was the issue of purgatory, with its postulate of the conscious torment of anguished souls. Let me step back from this. The doctrine that we have in the continuing Church of God of what happens once you die has been derided as the doctrine of soul sleep, so that's why they're using this here. And they're saying here that Martin Luther had a problem with purgatory, which is fine, he should have, because it's not from the Bible. It was something that the Church of Rome started to adopt 6th, uh, 7th century, mostly after they uh, went away from the doctrine of apocalyptic but that's a whole other subject. We won't go into that. Anyway, continuing, it says, Well, Luther was not always consistent. The predominant note running through all his writings is that souls sleep in peace without consciousness or pain. 
The Christian dead are not aware of anything. They see not, feel not, understand not, and are not conscious of passing events. Luther held and periodically stated that in sleep of death, as in normal physical sleep, there's complete unconsciousness and, and, and the unawareness of the condition of the dead or the, of the passage of time. Death is a deep, sound sleep, and the dead will remain asleep until the day of the resurrection. Those particular points are correct. The, the dead, uh, Jesus basically, and others in the New Testament said death was like sleep, and that was the position of the early church. Now specifically, here's something that uh, Martin Luther wrote, or specifically taught on this. He says, It is probable, in my opinion, that with very few exceptions indeed, the dead sleep in utter insensibility till the day of judgment. On what authority can it be said the souls of the dead may not sleep uh, the interval between earth and heaven. So basically, well, he thought there may be some exceptions, which uh, we in the Church of God don't teach that, the way he's referring to it as. And it, anyway, he said, look, when you die, you're basically asleep, you don't know anything. And uh, the book of Ecclesiastes say, uh, you dead know nothing. Uh, so that was consistent with that. But what did Herbert Armstrong teach? Well, Herbert Armstrong, and this is from his book called the Incredible Human Potential, Chapter 12, for those of you who may have it. The Bible teaching, contrary to much religious and church teaching, is that the is the Word of God teaching. Is that that the dead are dead, utterly unconscious. Notice the inspired wisdom of Solomon. And he's quoting from uh, Ecclesiastes 9.5. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. The RSV translated, the dead know nothing. Then Herbert Armstrong here refers to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. And I'm going to just be reading these. I mean, you could, if you want to follow along, I'll, I'll try to pause and give you a chance to get caught up. But usually the translations Herbert Armstrong is going to use will be from the uh, Old King James Version of the Bible, the Authorized Version as it's called. And those Martin Luther would be using would be his translation, which has then been translated by somebody else into English. So it may not follow all the time completely the same as what you might find in whatever translation of the Bible you're using. Anyway, heard Armstrong quoting 1 Corinthians 15.49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall, and he says future resurrection, also bear, bear the image of the heavenly, verse 49. As we are now flesh, we shall be spirit at the resurrection. And that's when we shall be, quote, born again, end quote. When we shall see, enter into the kingdom of God, when we are spirit at the resurrection. Now he's quoting verses uh, 50 and 52 of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, remain dead, but we shall be all changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we, the then living, shall be changed. So while some have criticized this doctrine, again called it soul sleep, it was what Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, and uh, Herbert Armstrong both taught. Now in terms of Herbert Armstrong, I want to make it clear, this is not some new or reformed change. This is 
historically been the position of the Church of God from the very beginning. Uh, we actually have uh, an article and I think a sermon on it that you can find at the, the sermon you'd find on this channel. The sermon and the article, though, would also be at the cogwriter.com website if you want more information on what the early church taught. But we in the continuing church of God continue to teach the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints, which included the idea that when you died, you were dead until the resurrection. And, you're, and when you're dead, you're unconscious. And that's what Herbert Armstrong taught. And that's also what Martin Luther taught. Now, both actually taught the idea about becoming God. And, and while Martin Luther may have not understood it the way that we in the Continuing Church of God teach it, I bring this up because certain Protestants have suggested that the teaching of deification that people like Herbert Armstrong advocated was some weird occultic idea. But actually, Martin Luther taught it himself. And uh, if, if you are associated with the Church of Rome or the Eastern Orthodox Church, let me say that... Uh, the Orthodox Saint uh, Athanasius said, God became man so man could become God. So it's consistent with the beliefs of those faiths. And here Martin Luther said basically the same thing. This was a sermon apparently he gave uh, on December 25th, I think. Quote, For the Word became flesh in order that flesh might become the Word. That is, God becomes man in order that man might become God. So deification, which we in the Continuing Church of God also teach, is something that Martin Luther taught. We have a sermon that goes into that about your destiny. We also have an article on that as well. The sermon would be at the Continuing COG channel that you're now viewing this from, but it's also at the cogwriter.com website. And I'd like to read uh, something from a sermon that Herbert Armstrong gave. Earlier I mentioned that, in a sense, Herbert Armstrong was a reformer uh, to the Church of God. And what he did as a reformer is he went and he restored truths that the Church used to have. If you look through Church history, there were certain beliefs that sometimes, uh, by the time it got into the 20th century, uh, the Church he was attending uh, at the time didn't fully hold to, or didn't hold to or forgot. So he gave a sermon where he mentioned that there were at least 18 truths that God used him to restore to the Philadelphia portion of the Church of God that the Sardis era, the church represented in his view by the Church of God's Seventh Day, did not have. Well, in that sermon, which was called uh, The Mission of the Philadelphia Church Era, which he gave on December 17, 1983, here's what he talked about in terms of deification. Quote, and the second thing to be restored is the purpose of God. And the gospel has, has to do with that. That is, God is reproducing us and that man can become God. And again, for teaching that, uh, those of us in the Church of God have been accused of being some kind of a cult. But again, let me read something that Martin Luther taught. God becomes man in order that man might become God. And as I said, that's also consistent with the teachings of Athanasius, who is a considered to be a saint by uh, uh, the Greco-Romans. Now, speaking of the Greco-Romans, uh, both Martin Luther and Herbert Armstrong taught against the concept that the Roman Church, Catholic Church was the one true church. Uh, both taught that basically the Roman Catholic Church was, quote, the great harlot of the apocalypse. They both taught against the, the papacy, and they both taught about a pope becoming uh, 
uh, Antichrist, and they both taught against monastic lifestyles. Now, on that other point about a pope becoming Antichrist, in case uh, you may be from a Catholic background or currently have a Catholic background, I do wish to comment that certain Roman Catholic prophecies from Catholic uh, saints or venerable Catholics or blessed Catholics or whatever terms these people may have also warns that uh, a pontiff might become the final Antichrist. And that is uh, something that both of them taught, although uh, Martin Luther uh, probably took it to other ways as well, as did Herb Armstrong. But I've gone through some of the similarities these men had, but now I'd like to go through some dissimilarities. Even though Martin Luther and his movement claimed to believe in Sola Scriptura, Martin Luther seemed to have trouble with the idea of the Bible being infallible, and he seemed to think that it contradicted itself. I'm going to read something he uh, wrote about the, uh, the book of James. This is from his preface, from his preface to the epistles of St. James and St. Jude of 1546 that he originally wrote in 1522. This again, what he wrote about uh, the epistle of James, which is in your Bible, and even had it in his Bible. But this is what he thought of it. It says, in the first place, it's flatly against Paul and the rest of the scriptures in describing justification to works. So he's flat out saying that this contradicts. It doesn't contradict the Bible. What it does is it contradicted Martin Luther's view of the Bible. It, that's James, says Abraham was justified by his works when he offered his son Isaac. Though in Romans 4, St. Paul teaches the contrary, that Adam, excuse me, Abraham was justified apart from works by his faith alone before he had offered his son, and he proves it by Moses in Genesis 15. But this James does nothing more than drive to the law and to its works. Besides, he throws things together so chaotically that it seems to me he must have been some good, pious man who took a few sayings from the disciples of the apostles and tossed them off on paper. Or it may be perhaps it had been written by somebody else on the basis of his preaching. He calls the law a law of liberty. Though Paul calls it a law of slavery, of wrath, of death, of sin. So Martin Luther absolutely was opposed to the book of James, but it's inspired. I thought he, his movement claimed to be sola scriptura. His movement did make that claim, but he didn't believe in it. And there was, those weren't the only books that he didn't like. I'm going to read something else uh, about what Martin Luther thought about some other books of the Bible. Job, the book of Job, that is, spoke not as it stands written in his book. So, he's, so Martin Luther is saying that what Job, the book of Job said, Job said, Job did not say if you're a Protestant, do you realize the ramifications of this? And if you're not a Protestant, you say, well, why do I care what the Protestants believe or teach? Because we're supposed to give a, an answer for, the, uh, for those who ask for, for the hope that lies within us. We in the Church of God are supposed to be sanctified by the truth, and God's Word is truth. We're supposed to be set apart by this book, the Word of God. Well, we need to realize or explain to people such as the Protestants that while they claim Sola Scriptura, and they claim that Martin Luther was some great leader, he didn't believe it. Anyway, it says, Job spoke not as it stands written in his book, but only had such thoughts. It's merely the argument of a fable. 
He's calling Job a fable. It's probable that Solomon wrote and made this book. And here's another one. Ecclesiastes ought to have been more complete. So he doesn't think God had that one inspired correctly. There's too much incoherent matter in it. Solomon, therefore, did not write this book. And Harar Strong says Solomon did write this book. I'm such an enemy of the book of Esther that I wish it did not exist, for it Judaizes too much. Martin Luther didn't like Jews. He didn't like the book of Esther because it was positive toward Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The history of Jonah is so monstrous that it is absolutely incredible. So he didn't believe Jonah either. Now we have an article at the Cogwriter.com website and I'll show it to you here. You might be able to see the title of it. It's called Sola Scriptura or Prima Luther. What did Martin Luther actually teach about the Bible? And in it, I go into more depth than I'm going to go into here. I'm going to go into some of it here, but for those who want more information on that particular point, uh, that's an article you can refer to. But what did uh, the old World Wide Church got under Herbert Armstrong's directions teach? I'm going to read something from an article in the Good News magazine from December 1980 called, Is the Bible Infallible? And here's what Herbert Armstrong's church taught then. The Bible is true, not only scientifically, but historically. Well, that differs from what Martin Luther said, so the Church of God position, that Herbert Armstrong endorsed, is correct. Again, the Bible is not a history book. Whatever is mentioned as history in the Bible is all, always true. Is the Word of God infallible? It certainly is. That's the teachings under Herbert Armstrong. That's the teaching of the continuing Church of God. But that was not how Martin Luther viewed it. Now, Martin Luther had kind of a very low view of other books of the New Testament. I'm going to read something from his preference to the Epistle of Hebrews. This was written in 1522 and was published in 1546. Up to this point, we've had the true and certain chief books of the New Testament. The four which follow have from ancient times had a different reputation. In the first place, the fact that Hebrews is not an epistle of St. Paul or of any other apostles is proved from what it says in chapter 2. So basically he's saying he doesn't like Hebrews, James, Jude, or Revelation. And let's go to his preface to Jude and James. Concerning the epistle of St. Jude, no one can deny this an extract or copy of uh, St. Peter's second epistle. So very like it are all the words. Well, I can deny it because I've read both and I don't think all the words are that identical. The fact that they're consistent with one another is, is fine, that I disagree with them on it. Then Martin Luther says, Jude also speaks of the apostles like a disciple who comes long after them and cites saying incidents that are found nowhere else in Scripture. Well, therefore, it's not an exact copy, which he just said, <laughs> Second Peter, which he just said a minute ago. This moved the ancient fathers to exclude this epistle from the main body of scriptures. Well, no, actually, that's if you take a certain Greco-Roman view of how the canonization of scripture occurred. If you take the Church of God view, the biblical view, the canonization of scripture took place uh, under the Apostle John, who was the last one to write any books of the Bible, and he passed it on to Polycarp. And in Polycarp's letter to the Philippians, uh, Polycarp quotes or alludes to every book in the New Testament, including Jude. So people that we in the Church of God would consider true leaders, such as Polycarp, uh, endorsed the book of Jude. 
perhaps uh, some Greco-Roman heretics or apostates did not, but uh, that's not the Church of God position. And here's something else he te- Martin Luther taught. What are the true and noblest books of the New Testament? From all this, you can now judge all the books and decide among them which are best. So Martin Luther is saying you should pick which books of the Bible are best. So he tells you which one he says is the best. John's Gospel and St. Paul's Epistles, especially those to the Romans and St. Peter's First Epistle, are the true kernel and marrow, the bone marrow, of all the books. Therefore, John's Gospel is one fine, true, chief Gospel and is far to be preferred over the other three and placed high above them. Now, I'd like to comment about that. So he thought, okay, John's Gospel was the highest one and blah, blah, blah. Well, interestingly, or sadly, Martin Luther did not change from the Roman Catholic position that Passover was supposed to be uh, on the... Well, the Roman Catholic position was Passover would be on a Sunday. Yet the Apostle John, according to the record of church history, kept Passover on the 14th. And if Martin Luther truly respected the gospel uh, account of John so much, you'd think he would have been more like the Apostle John, but he was not. And furthermore, he says, So too the epistles of St. Paul and Peter far surpass the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he's judging the books of the Bible in his way. In a word, John's gospel and his first epistle his first epistle apparently likes more than others. St. Paul's epistles, especially Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and St. Peter's first epistles are the books that show you Christ and teach you all that's necessary and salvatory for you to know. Even if you were never to hear any other book or doctrine. Therefore, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to these other, for there's nothing in the nature of the gospel in it. Really? That's what he taught about the book of James. There's nothing in the gospel about it. Well, the gospel of the kingdom of God includes the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come and rule on this earth. And what's going to rule is going to rule with the laws of God. And the book of James expounds on those and says this is important. Now, as far as uh, Herbert Armstrong uh, and the old Radio Church of God, old Worldwide Church of God, here's what they taught about this. I read one statement before, the Bible is true not only scientifically but historically. And then, here's one. To bind up comes from the Hebrew word meaning to complete. The apostles were used to complete the testimony of Jesus Christ. The New Testament church has, quote, the testimony of Jesus Christ, Revelation 12, 17. It's also through Jesus' disciples that God's seal of approval is placed on those laws which are eternally binding on Christians. Yes, we can know the Bible is complete. Not one book of the Bible has been lost, not one is missing. The books of the Bible, as you find them in your King James Version, constitute the complete Bible. So this is very different than uh, Martin Luther's position on it. You know, many people have heard the quote about Martin Luther and the book of James being an epistle of straw. But many don't realize that Martin Luther's feelings toward the book of Revelation were even worse. Even worse? Seems like it. Now, even though Martin Luther uh, says the Gospel of John is to be preferred above all others, and, that, and he repeatedly says what a great book that was, uh, as I mentioned before, he didn't follow John's practices. And in the Bible, by the way, John, 
uh, says that uh, those who did not follow his practices uh, were not true Christians. They were not. They may have pretended to be, but they're not. But I'd like to read what Martin Luther wrote in his preface, preface to the Revelation of St. John, first appearing September Testament of 1522. And that was the name of this document. This is what Martin Luther wrote. About the, this book, the Revelation of John. Of course, the book, by the way, actually, let's just go there. Go to Revelation chapter 1. So, because we, we'll see an immediate problem here that Martin Luther has. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly come to place. And he sent and sanctified it by his angel to his servant John. This is not the revelation of John. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book says. So Martin Luther, first of all, called it the revelation of John. Now if he says the revelation of Jesus Christ, maybe he wouldn't have said so many bad things about it. But he calls it the revelation of John. I leave everyone free to hold his own opinions. I would not have anyone bound to my opinion or judgment. I say what I feel. I miss more than one thing in this book. It makes me consider it that it is neither apostolic nor prophetic. Well, I read that first sentence, the first verse in it. It says, quote, These things which must shortly take place. So in other words, it's prophetic. The book is prophetic. It says it's prophetic. Martin Luther said it was not. I can no way detect the Holy Spirit produced it. Moreover, he, that's John, seems to me to be going much too far when he commends his own books so highly indeed, more than any other sacred books do, though they are much more important. And he threatens if anyone takes anything away from it, God will take away from him, etc. Well, you either believe God inspired uh, John to write this down or you don't. And this is what is written. And what he's complaining about, let's go to... Uh, Go to the uh, book of uh, Revelation, chapter 22. I'm going to read in verse 18. What Martin Luther is saying is this, what I'm going to read here, uh, should not be in the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Now again, notice the book says it's a prophecy. Martin Luther said it was not a prophecy. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of, the, of the prophe- this prophecy, the book of prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Martin Luther doesn't like that. He doesn't want it said there. And he keeps objecting to this particular book. This is just the same as if we did not have the book at all. There are far more, better, many more better books for us to keep what Martin Luther says, my spirit itself cannot accommodate itself to this book. For me, this is reason enough not to think highly of it. Christ is not taught nor known in it. Christ is not taught or known in it. Christ is talked about all over the place of it. A description of what Christ now looks like is in this book. But this is what he says. But to teach Christ, this is the thing which the apostle is bound above all to do, as it says in Acts 1. Therefore, I stick to the books which present Christ to me, clearly and purely. Well, the book of Revelation does present Jesus Christ. Martin Luther says it doesn't make sense to him, so he doesn't want to do it. This might explain, by the way, why if you look into modern Lutheran, Lutheranism, 
There's a lot of things they don't teach. They don't endorse the millennium. They don't teach other things that are in the book of Revelation, uh, which is odd if, if supposedly their faith is supposed to be based on sola scriptura. Now, what did Herbert Armstrong believe? I hear something from the, uh, do we have the complete Bible from the Radio Church of God in uh, 1959, Worldwide Church of God in 1974. A comparison of the book of Genesis with the book of Revelation would prove conclusively that the book of Revelation was intended to be the last book of the Bible. And as a final warning not to add any other book, God inspired John to write Revelation 22, 18-19. Now, here's something Herbert Armstrong wrote himself in his booklet called The Book of Revelation Unveiled at Last, which originally came out in 1959 and 1972. Approximately one-third of all the Bibles devoted to prophecy. Many whole portions of Scripture are devoted to it. In the, and the talk, he talks about prophecies in the Old Testament. And then the other New Testament books, he talks about Revelation. book of Revelation alone, we find events of various prophecies correlated in the order of time sequence. While the book of Revelation itself is a vital key to a large portion of other prophecies, there's... There are certain keys which open the book to our understanding. One important key is that the book of Revelation is a story flow relating one future event to another in time order with occasional inserts. The opening verse says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. The word revelation, this is an English word, translated from the original Greek word apocalypse, as it's called in one version, it means the revealing. Not the hiding, the sealing, or the closing up, but the revealing. Yet the prophecy of future world events in this book was sealed with seven seals, of course. And absolutely no one except Jesus Christ is able to strip off the seals to open up to reveal the meaning of the prophecies. So, Herbert Armstrong believed it was an important book, that Jesus Christ uh, helped open up the, the meaning of it. But Martin Luther was opposed to it, didn't like it. Now, it, both Martin Luther and Herbert Armstrong taught about the Sabbath, although Martin Luther's views uh, differ from Scripture and they differ from the Bible. Uh, Martin Luther's version of this is uh, sanctify the holy day. And now, when Martin Luther separated from the Church of Rome, he kept the order of the Ten Commandments that the Church of Rome did. Originally, the Ten Commandments, and they still are, by the way, are the order that we in the Continuing Church of God hold to, and actually currently, as most Protestants hold to, as well as the Eastern Orthodox faith. They hold the Ten Commandments the way we teach them, in that order. But Martin Luther uh, kept the order that the Church of Rome had, which is basically combining the first two commandments into one. Uh, and then instead of the fourth commandment being the Sabbath commandment, he called it the third commandment, which is again what the Church of Rome currently does. And he says, the third commandment says, quote, you shall hallow the day of rest. Um, I'd like to read something that Herbert Armstrong uh, wrote in, in a booklet called Which Day is the Christian Sabbath? Observe more closely now the Sabbath commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Exodus 20, verse 8. God said, remember this day, so men have insisted on forgetting. We're trying to change it to a different day. Notice verse 9, 10 of Exodus 20. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, 
but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the eternal your God. In it you shall not do any work. In this present verse, Exodus 20, verse 10, he said to all the people assembled, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Not the Sabbath of the Jewish people, but of the Lord or eternal thy God. In verse 11 you'll read, this is again Exodus 20, For in six days the eternal made heaven and earth and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And I would comment that Hebrews 4.9, uh, you don't have to go there if you don't want to, and I'm going to read this from the NIV translation of the Bible. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And we have uh, articles and sermons about that as well, if you want more information about that. But Martin Luther seemed to have trouble with this Sabbath commandment. Uh, he didn't seem to understand what it meant. And, and here's what he says. What does this mean? Sabbath, he says. We should fear and love God so we don't despise preaching His Word, but hold it sacred and gladly learn it. He says... We sin against the Sabbath commandment, third commandment he calls it, when we despise the preaching and word of God. What does God require us of the third commandment? We should hold the preaching word of God sacred. So Martin Luther didn't seem to think you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. He just he emphasized this idea that uh, you should pay attention to the word of God on the Sabbath. And you should pay attention to the word of God on the Sabbath. Uh, many of you will be watching this particular uh, sermon on the Sabbath, and so that's consistent with what he had advocated. But he didn't go further than that. He didn't seem to teach that uh, you needed to rest on the Sabbath, and the word Sabbath, by the way, actually means rest. So this changes, or is different from what Herbert Armstrong taught. Uh, he said, when uh, God made the Sabbath for man, he gave man a, a rest day, carrying great significance and purpose. To his church in the wilderness, God said the Sabbath was a covenant side between him and his people. The sign is a supernatural proof of identity. This is the sign by which we know he is God. How does it prove it to us? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested. It's a memorial of creation. And the creation is a proof of the existence of God. Creation identifies God. The Sabbath is a weekly memorial of creation, a weekly reminder of God's power to create. Therefore, it identifies God to us, it keeps the true memory and true worship of the true God. No other day but the seventh day of the week could have such great significance and meanings. It was designed to keep us in the true worship of God. And we're in the true worship of God not just by listening to Sabbath services and that type of thing, or watching sermons such as this, but also to rest, because in six days we'll labor and do all our work, and the seventh day is the Sabbath. And that's something that Herbert Armstrong taught, because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, when is the Sabbath? Now, that's, of course, the difference between uh, Herbert Armstrong and uh, Martin Luther. And here's what he said in a paper. Now, Martin Luther wrote a paper called Against the Sabbatarians. So that's always been a concern to me as a Sabbatarian. But sanctifying, that is the teaching and preaching of God's word, which is true, genuine, sole meaning of this commandment. He says that's the only meaning of the Sabbath commandment is is got to do with the teaching and preaching. Has been the beginning, pertains to the world for now. Therefore, the seventh day does not concern us Gentiles, nor does it concern the Jews beyond the advent of the Messiah. So he said the seventh day is of no relevance to us, to his people, that is. They are the Christians. He said it was no relevance to the Jew after Jesus came, but that's also not true. 
Although by the very nature of things, one must, as already said, rest, celebrate, and keep the Sabbath on whatever day or whatever hour God's word is preached. For God's word cannot be heard or taught when one is preoccupied uh, with something else or when one is not quiet. And further, I'm going to read something from Martin Luther's small catechism. And again, all the references that I'm reading here are at an article on Martin Luther and Herbert Armstrong, uh, similarities and dissimilarities. So if you want to get these references up to verify what I'm saying, you can be like the Bereans of old, Acts 17, I think verse 9 or 10. They search the scriptures daily to see if what the Apostle Paul said was so. You could verify what I'm saying, see if what I'm saying is so. Of course, sometimes references can have problems, and sometimes I stumble over words. Uh, but the gist of what I'm saying is consistent. And again, I'm reading what Martin Luther taught, and what Herbert Armstrong taught, and sometimes what the Bible teaches. So you can compare the two. And so you'll know why we, in the continuing Church of God, are not Protestant. We do not proclaim Martin Luther as one of our leaders. Uh, we did not trace our history through him. We preceded the formation of the Church of Rome. But because many people who claim to believe the Bible uh, are of the Protestant-type uh, faiths, I think we need to understand Protestantism a little bit better so we can understand how to deal with Protestants, as well as to understand why what we in the Continuing Church of God teach is true, why it's biblically correct, and why we should have the beliefs that we hold. So anyway, Martin Luther says, This Sabbath has been for us changed into Sunday. The other days are called work days. Sunday is called a rest day or holiday or holy day. And would to God that in Christendom there were no holiday except Sunday. He also said, God requires Christians to worship together. He's not specified any particular day. The church worships together, especially on Sunday. I'd like to comment about two things there. Where he said he didn't want any other holidays in Christendom. Basically, Martin Luther realized there were some pagan connections with Easter, there were pagan connections with Christmas, but did he stand up for them? Oh no. He may have a little bit, and that's what he was trying to do here. But the people wanted to continue to keep them. So instead of standing for the Bible alone, he endorsed things such as Christmas. You can look at this Bible, look throughout here, you will never see a time where Christians were supposed to celebrate any birthday you will not see that Christians kept Christmas. Uh, the early Christians didn't do it. The apostles didn't do it. The followers of the apostles didn't do it. Martin Luther suspected it was wrong, but he wouldn't stand up against it because lest he lose too many followers. Now, what did uh, Herbert Armstrong write? He says, we've been reared in a Sunday-keeping wor world, or su Sunday-observing world. There's three facts that are self-evident. One, Sunday's the first day of the week. Look at uh, any calendar. They have to be careful. Some of the calendars in Europe actually show Sunday's the seventh day of the week, but people know that Sunday is the first day of the week. Second, Jesus kept the Sabbath, and he cites uh, Luke. It was his custom. Third, the Sabbath Jesus kept was the seventh day of the week. Three days after his crucifixion, this Sabbath was still the day before the first day of the week. But what was but was the day changed by Christ or his apostles after this to the first day of the week so that Sunday is now the New Testament Christian Sabbath. The word Sunday does not appear any place in the Bible. 
But the phrase first day of the week is found in the New Testament. It occurs in exactly eight places. But not one of these sets it apart as a rest day. Not one calls it holy, makes it a Sabbath day, or gives it any sacred title. In every case, the first day of the week was a common work day. Well, I would throw in one exception, and that is the day of Pentecost, which would have been on a Sunday. Uh, when Pentecost itself would not be, but he's saying the other, when it talks about specifically the first day of the week, that was the case. Uh, Paul's custom was to keep the Sabbath, and we're supposed to follow him as he follows Jesus Christ. Now, another difference between both Herbert Armstrong and Martin Luther has to do with the ability to count to three. What do you mean the ability to count to three? Or how long is three days and three nights? Martin Luther said, How can we say that he, that's Jesus, rose the third day since he laid in the grave only one day and two nights? And then he says, Well... According to Jewish calculations, only a day and a half. So how are we supposed to say this is three days? To this reply, he was in the state of death for part of all three days. He died about two o'clock on a Friday, which is not true. Consequently, he was dead for about two hours on the first day. He lay in the grave all day, which is the true Sabbath. And the third day, which we commemorate, he, he rose on uh, Sunday, the Easter, Sunday, Easter day. Even though it's only part of the day. Okay, so that's what he's claiming. Her Armstrong said, I learned and completely proved that Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights. Jesus said so, Matthew 12, 40. It was only a sign of his miraculous proof of his messiahship. Many other passages in the Bible verify the full 72-hour duration. The, the crucifixion was on Wednesday. The resurrection of Christ from the dead was late Sabbath afternoon prior to sunset. This is proved conclusively, not only by the scriptures on the subject, but also by astronomy and in the uh, Hebrew calendar. And he's correct. Yet, others have decided that three days and three nights don't mean three days and three nights. And you just heard Martin Luther's explanation. That's simply not the case. Another difference between... The, the Church of God and uh, Martin Luther was about baptizing babies. Martin Luther's small catechism said babies are to be baptized because they're included in the words all nations. And then later, Martin Luther had the Anabaptists condemned because uh, Anabaptists were people who did not accept uh, infant baptism. It says, on baptism, they teach us necessary for salvation that they, to receive uh, God's grace to he says, they, that's the Lutherans, condemn the Anabaptists who reject the baptism of children. Well, we're not, children, we're not baptized. We don't see this in the Bible. And Herbert Armstrong taught, should children be baptized? He says, one can't be baptized till they repent. And only those who can believe both the true gospel that's preached and Christ can repent. Babies cannot do that. They have to get to the maturity. They have to self-discipline to repent. There is no recorded incident of anybody in the New Testament or the Bible, babies or infants being baptized, nor in the records of early church history. Uh, Martin Luther, when it came to prayer, by the way, taught that uh, you should do things like the sign of the cross, but crosses were not even used by early Christians, and so that type of thing he was teaching was just wrong. Uh, 
Her Armstrong taught that you're supposed to pray, but he didn't say things like that, and he was opposed to things like the sign of the cross. What about fasting? This part's odd. Martin Luther objects to fasting. He says, This doctrine is so wicked and shameful before God that no carousing or gluttony or, nor intemperance or drunkenness could be so bad that it would be better to be completely fuddled all day than to fast. You hear that? Martin Luther saying you're better off being a drunk and a glutton than to fast. Herbert Armstrong had encouraged fasting. This is from the Importance of Fasting co-worker letter of 1948. Jesus and the men of God mentioned the Bible fasted for a purpose. In fact, there's two vital reasons for occasional fasting. One is for health and physical fitness. The other is for spiritual reviving. Fasting and prayer together is the most effective means of drawing closer to God, reestablishing the vital contact and close communion. It's not pleasant. In Bible language, it's afflicting your soul. It takes courage and willpower. Now, if you take your Bibles and go to the book of Matthew, chapter 9, I'd like to read something from the New King James Version. Matthew, chapter 9, starting in verse 14. So who's right? Martin Luther says you're better off being a drunk. Or Armstrong says you're supposed to fast. Verse 14, Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John came to him, as to Jesus, and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the day will come when they'll be taken away from them, and they will fast. So Jesus said his people will fast after he left, and we do fast. And Jesus, by the way, and his disciples always fast on the Day of Atonement. Uh, there's so many things that they're different from Martin Luther in the Bible. And he encouraged people to sin. I've got, I know that will sound odd, but this is, I'm going to read something that he said. This is from Martin Luther. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong, but let your trust in Christ be stronger. No sin can separate us from us, even if we were to kill or commit adultery thousands of times each day. Well, I would suggest if you uh, commit adultery or sin thousands of times each day, that uh, you have not repented and you're not a Christian. If you take your Bibles, go to the book of Hebrews. Of course, as I mentioned before, Martin Luther didn't like Hebrews so much. Hebrews chapter 10. I'd like to read... uh, Verse 26, from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Now let me continue, verse 28. If anyone who's rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on testimony of two or three witnesses, verse 29. How much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy of who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was to sanctify as a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? And Martin Luther says, be a sinner and let your sins be strong. No, you're not supposed to be a sinner if your sins be strong. Yes, we know the Bible says that if we say we've not sinned, we're a liar and the truth is not not in us. But we're not supposed to sin. Apostle Paul said, are we supposed to sin to make grace abound? He said, certainly not. We're not supposed to sin, but Martin Luther taught this. Now, Herbert Armstrong taught, all have sinned 
What sin? The transgression of law. Law of love is defined by the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, that which comes out of the man defiles the man. Okay, this is quoting from Mark 7, verse 20. That which comes out of the man defiles the man. From within, within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. Okay, a couple of those things Martin Luther said you're supposed to do thousands of times a day. It was okay. It's not. All of sin, says the scripture. And what man, especially Christians there, who's not struggled against sin? But with men it's impossible, said Jesus. But God, with God all things are possible. We have to have our part in it, he says. We have to repent. We have to change. The way to prevent sin is let God's Spirit fill your mind. Herbert Armstrong then quotes Colossians 3, verse 2. And it's a short passage. It says, Set your affection on the things above, not the things of earth. So, try to build character, Herbert Armstrong also said in here. Develop your spiritual character and not sin. And don't go about trying to sin. But Martin Luther took a different view. What about war? This is a major difference between the Greco-Roman churches and the Church of God. In the continuing Church of God, we do not believe Christians are supposed to be involved in warfare. Uh, early Christians did not believe they were supposed to be involved in warfare. Oddly, I saw a, a Catholic movie, actually, I think it was, that they showed uh, early Christians and they wouldn't fight and be involved in war. And that was considered normal because they were the early Christians. Well, true Christians never changed, but uh, Martin Luther and uh, the Greco-Romans did. Here's something that uh, Martin Luther advocated. It says, Pure devilry is urging on the peasants. Therefore, let all who are able mow them down, slaughter and stab them, openly or in secret. And remember, there's nothing more poisonous, noxious, or utterly devilish than a rebel. It's odd to say, since Martin Luther was considered a rebel. You must kill him as you would a mad dog. The authorities must resolve to chastise and slay as long as they can raise a finger. It may be that those who are killed on the side of the authority are really a martyr in God's cause. A happier death no man could die. The present time is so strange that the prince can gain heaven easier by spilling blood than by praying. Martin Luther said it's easier to go to to heaven, which is actually not a biblical doctrine, the other, but that's another part, by spilling blood than by praying. So killing, murdering people supposedly gets you into heaven, according to Martin Luther, more than uh, praying, or I guess repenting. He uh, had a document called Table Talk, and there's something he admitted. This is Martin Luther. I'm going to read this. I, Martin Luther, slew all the peasants in the rebellion. For I said that they should be slain. All their blood is upon my head. But I cast it upon the Lord God, who commanded me to speak this way. Anyone really believe God told him to go out and kill people like he did? And to say that princes can obtain heaven easier by killing peasants than they would by praying? Unbelievable. Oh, and by the way, about 100,000 perished around this time uh, that Martin Luther had some responsibility for. Martin Luther and his party in 1530 condemned people like those of us who had Church of God beliefs. 
They said of civil affairs, they, that's people like us, teach that lawful civil ordinances are good works. Okay, I'm sorry. Reword this. Okay. Martin Luther's people says that the lawful civil ordinances are good works of God. It's right for Christians, this is what Martin Luther teaches, to sit as judges, to judge matters, to award punishment, to engage in just wars to serve as soldiers. They condemn the Anabaptists who forbid these civil offices to Christians. We don't forbid people from being involved in certain types of uh, proper biblical judgment, but we do not want our people to be involved in more as soldiers. And that was our position is consistent with that of the early church. Now, Herbert Armstrong taught, we believe Christian disciples of Christ are forbidden by him and by the commandments of God to kill or in any manner, directly or indirectly, take human life by whatever means. We believe that bearing arms is directly contrary to this fundamental doctrine of our belief. Therefore, we conscientiously refuse to bear arms or come under the military authority. So that was Herbert Armstrong's position, which, by the way, is consistent with the position of the original church. I'd also like to read the position of the uh, continuing church of God about this. It's under our belief called not of this world in our statement of beliefs. Jesus taught, my kingdom is not of this world. John the Baptist taught, do violence to no man. Historically, those of the Church of God have considered military service wrong for its members. From the Revolutionary War to Civil War to present, countries like the United States have tended to have a provision to exempt Church of God members and congregants from military participation because of conscientious objections. Early Christians did not participate in military warfare nor watch violent sports. The Apostle Paul taught we were ambassadors for Christ. Apostle Peter taught God's people were a holy nation, his own people, special people, that we may proclaim the praise of him who called us out, 1 Peter 2.9. The Bible also teaches this world has been deceived by Satan the devil, that God's people need to be separate from the world. Thus, historically, the Church of God has taught that its members not participate in secular jur- juries or secular politics. There is a conflict between the laws of men and the laws of God. Quote, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Acts 5.29. So that's the difference between the groups. Uh, one difference is that uh, has to do with uh, the ministry, and that is uh, Martin Luther would use the term reverend, but that was not something that the Church of God has used. Uh, we do not use it. We've not used it. Uh, the Seventh-day Baptists, when they separated from the true Church of God, started to use it. Martin Luther used it. In Psalm 111, verse 9, I'm going to read from the Old King James Version because it's different uh, than, words it differently than the New King James. It says, Holy and reverend is His name. God's name is holy and reverend. We use God. The, the term reverend we restrict to, to God. We don't use it for humans, but Martin Luther did, did otherwise. One of the most hateful things, perhaps, that Martin Luther did, beyond some of the stuff I've already said, such as encourage war, is his views of Jewish people. Even in modern times, uh, including the followers of Adolf Hitler, they actually quoted some of Martin Luther's uh, writings to justify the Holocaust and uh, the murder of Jews. Here is something that Martin Luther said, or he wrote, My heart is fuller of these thoughts than my tongue can tell. I have come to the conclusion that Jews will always curse and blaspheme God as all the prophets have predicted. He who neither reads nor understands this as yet knows no theology in my opinion. So if you can't condemn the Jews like he does, you don't know anything. And so I presume the men of Cologne cannot understand scripture because it's necessary that such things take place to fill prophecy. If they are trying to stop the Jews blasphemy, why are they working 
and prove the Bible and Jews and God liars. Furthermore, Martin Luther said, I'd made up my mind to write no more about the Jews or against them. But since I learned that those miserable and accursed people do not cease to lure themselves even to us, that is to Christians, I published this little book so that I might be found among those who oppose such poisonous activities to Jews and who warn the Christians beyond their guard against them. Now he says to Jews, they are blind, so stupid, that they neither see the words found in Genesis 17 nor the whole of Scripture, which mightily explicitly condemns this lie. They are real liars and bloodhounds who have not only continued perverted and falsified all the Scripture with their mendicious glosses from beginning to the present day. Their heart's most ardent sighing and yearning and hoping is set on a day of which they can deal with us Gentiles as they did with the Gentiles in Persia at the time of Esther. That's perhaps why he doesn't like the book of Esther. The worse a Jew is, the more arrogant he is, solely because he's a Jew. That's a person descended from Abraham's seed. I want to present this to us Germans so that we may see what rascals the blind Jews are and how powerfully the truth of God in our midst stands with us and against them. The truth of God? The truth of God says that you're supposed to love people. You're not supposed to condemn them. Furthermore, Herbert Armstrong did not view Jews like this. But I'm going to take it a step further and say what Martin Luther advised his followers to do with Jews. Quote, Burn down Jewish schools and synagogues, throw pitch and sulfur into the flames, destroy their homes, confiscate their ready money into gold and silver, take from them their sacred books, even the whole Bible, if that doesn't help matters, to hunt them out of the country like mad dogs. That's what Martin Luther advocated. And further, this is from a writing he wrote called On the Jews and Their Lies in 1543. And this is quoted from Luther's work, volume 47, The Christian in Society 4. Accordingly, it must and dare not be considered a trifling matter, but a most serious one, to seek counsel against this and to save our souls from the Jews, that is, from the devil and the eternal death. My advice, I said earlier, is first, that their synagogues be burned down and all who are able toss in sulfur and pitch. He had a horrible view of Jews. Herbert Armstrong made some comments about uh, Jews. He made some deals uh, with them. He was involved in putting together a, uh, a playground, a children's playground gift uh, into Jerusalem. So Herbert Armstrong, and he received uh, recognition for that. So he was, Herbert Armstrong was recognized for actually trying to help the Jews, or for actually helping the Jews. When Martin Luther said, kill them, confiscate their stuff, destroy them. Unbelievable. Um, in terms of uh, the Godhead, uh, Martin Luther taught that Christ is true God and true man. Uh, we don't say he's merely a creature, but that he is God and man in one person. The natures are joined in, two in one person. Herbert Ar the, and interestingly, both Herbert Armstrong and uh, Martin Luther quoted uh, uh, John 1, in the beginning was the word. But basically, the position of the Church of God is that, uh, when, and what Herbert Armstrong said, was that Christ was God, but he emptied himself uh, when he became uh, human, with his divinity, got the divinity back after he was resurrected. So that is a different. 
they also differed in terms of the nature of God. Uh, Martin Luther taught uh, the Trinity, but he also said men should not speculate about the nature of God. Uh, it should be pointed out that the early Christians were not Trinitarian. I know that may come as a shock to some of you, and perhaps because of this, some of you will condemn the continuing Church of God as some kind of a cult and not bother to read what the Scriptures teach about the Godhead or not bother to read what early uh, church writers taught. Even people that Catholics, Protestants, and Eastern Orthodox considered to be saints, they taught what was known as a Benetarian view of the Godhead, which is the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is the power of God. That was the position of the early church. That is the position of the continuing church of God. That was the position of Herbert Armstrong. And again, it differs from uh, Martin Luther. Uh, in terms of religious holidays, I, uh, something else Martin Luther taught says this epistle is read today because the festival of the Holy Trinity. Uh, Martin Luther basically adopted a lot of uh, Roman Catholic holidays, even though he had before indicated he would not. Those holidays came from paganism. It's reasonably certain that Martin Luther knew this. Uh, Herbert Armstrong, on the other hand, taught it very plainly. He says ancient Roman pagan holidays have been chained upon a heedless and deceived world. These include certain annual holidays such as Christmas, New Year's, Easter, as well as even more, every one a pagan day. And says, you know, God did gave his people the annual holy days and the Sabbath, but people who claim to be able to believe the Bible will not do that. We have all kinds of literature and stuff on that. As I mentioned before, Martin Luther and his followers didn't care much the book of Revelation. And because of that, they decided to go along with the Church of Rome and not believe in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize if you're Protestant, there's a chance you do believe in the millennium. But uh, I'm going to read uh, something that uh, the, uh, at the Diet of Augsburg in 1530. This is a confession of faith. It says, On Christ's return to judgment... Also, they teach that the consummation of the world, Christ will appear for judgment and will raise up the dead. He will give the godly eternal and elect life and everlasting joys, but ungodly men and devils he's condemned to torment without end. Okay, that was their then, then they say, they, the Lutherans, condemn the Anabaptists, and people like the Church of God, who think there will be an end of punishments. See, that's a difference right there. The Baptists, the, the Church of God teaches that there will be an end to punishment, whereas the Lutherans teach that the torment will never end. They condemn others who are now spreading certain Jewish opinions that before the resurrection of the dead, the godly will take possession of the king of the world, the ungodly being suppressed everywhere. And so what there's, he's saying there is the Lutherans condemn those who believe that there will be a millennial reign of Jesus Christ prior to the resurrection. Why don't we go there just to see if, he, if Martin Luther is paying attention to the Bible. It would be Revelation chapter 20. Uh, or his own opinion. It says that, uh, verse 4 of Revelation chapter 20, And I saw the thrones, and they sat at them, judgment was committed to them, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness for Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, and they had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. 
The rest of the dead did not live until after the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And so it's at that second resurrection that he's talking about. This is between the first and second resurrection. He says these people have this Jewish opinion about a millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Is this Jewish opinion? Maybe Jews believed that. That's interesting. And I know that there was a Jewish opinion, but I wasn't reading a Jewish opinion. I was reading from the New Testament, which is uh, penned in Greek, the Isle of Patmos, by the Apostle John, who was told to write down, by Jesus Christ, to write down what he saw. Um, Herbert Armstrong, of course, taught uh, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But he also said, remember, humans remaining on the earth after Christ's return, ruled by Christ, and resurrected or changed in mortality, will themselves still have human nature, they're still unconverted, those who had not been changed. But Christ and the governing king of God that will be set up as a governing family will bring about a utopia. Christ will use his hand to re-educate the world Herbert Armstrong believed in the money reign of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches it. But uh, Martin Luther did not believe that. Uh, in the Athenian Creed, followers of Martin Luther teach, quote, those who deny the triune God and his redemptive work are outside the church without hope of salvation. Yet, the Bible doesn't teach a triune God. And the Herbert Armstrong said, look, God gave the Holy Days to help reveal His plan of salvation. We have a lot of information about the Holy Days, but basically because the Greco-Romans don't keep many of them. They claim to keep Passover, which they call Easter, but they keep it as a resurrection holiday as opposed to uh, what it was intended for. They don't keep the Days of Unleavened Bread, although they keep Lent, which totally gets them away from the Days of Unleavened Bread. They claim to keep Pentecost, so there's one that they do, but they don't keep the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles of the Last Great Day. If they kept the Feast of Pentecost properly, they'd realize that that's a Feast of first fruits, that God's only calling some now, and God will call others later. And Herbert Armstrong went into all that in his booklet on pagan holidays, so I'm just kind of paraphrasing it here. Uh, but if you understood God's plan of salvation, including the Last Great Day, and the white, Great White Throne Judgment, you'd realize that God is going to offer salvation to all, either in this age or the age to come, and a belief in a triune God, which the Bible does not teach, is certainly not necessary uh, for that. Christmas trees. Uh, basically, let me read something. Why do we have Christmas trees? The 16th century, century, Martin Luther said to decorate a small Christmas tree with candles. Uh, basically, Martin Luther saw a pine tree once in the woods, said it had three, uh, kind of a, the outline has three points. He says, ah, that's like the Trinity, and we should do this, even though this was a practice that old pagans had. And it was something that was warned against in the book of uh, Jeremiah 10, not to go and do what the, the heathen did. Um, I'd like to read what Her Armstrong taught about this. Says, but if the Bible is silent about telling us to observe Christmas or recording any such observance by the apostles of the early church, it does have something to say about the Christmas tree. This will come as a real surprise to many, but here it is from Jeremiah 10, starting in verse 2. So you may want to go there. Again, he's going to, I'm going to read from the Old King James. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, for the customs of the people are vain. One cuts a tree out of the forest with the, work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They deck it with silver, they deck it with gold, they fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it moves not. 
And he says, this is a perfect description for the Christmas tree turned by the eternal is the way of the heathen, the customs of the people. We are commanded not to learn or follow it. It also is viewed in this passage as idolatry. The fifth verse says these trees can't speak, they can't walk, they must be carried. Don't be afraid of them, for they, the trees, cannot do evil, neither is there in them to do good. They're not gods to be feared. They're not a symbol of the Trinity or the biblical uh, Godhead. Most people misread this to make it say there's no harm in having Christmas trees, but that's not what it says. I'd like to read something about Martin Luther in the Bible. This is from a book I have called The Facts About Luther. And this is sort of important to understand how he really viewed the Bible. And I'd also like to read something from Herbert Armstrong to see how better understanding how he views the Bible and how we in the continuing Church of God view the Bible. Uh, this is uh, from this particular translation of Romans 3.28. It says, We account a man to be justified by faith without the works of the law. Then they say, But Martin Luther added the word alone afterwards. And then here's a quote from Martin Luther. What what are you supposed to say to if uh, to Martin Luther if some about Martin Luther? People say, look, Martin Luther added the word alone to the Bible. He added something to Scripture. He should not have done that. Here's what uh, Martin Luther says: If your papist, that means somebody who is a Catholic, annoys you with the word alone, tell him straight away, Doctor Martin Luther will have it so. Papists and donkeys are one of the same thing. Whoever will not have my translation. Let him give it the go-by, and the devil's thanks be to him who censors it without my will and knowledge. Martin Luther will have it so, for he is the doctor above all doctors of popedom. Or popedom, I guess is what it says. This is from something called amicable discussion. That was not an amicable thing that Martin Luther said. He said, you know, doesn't if, if someone complains that I added the word alone, I'm smarter than all the doctors over the, the Church of Rome, therefore I'm right. Well, no, he's not right if he changes the Bible or contradicts the Bible. I'd like to read something else that Martin Luther uh, claimed to say. It, even though he said, Martin Luther said he looked at the Bible as if God himself spoke therein, and God did speak the Bible, Martin Luther had a sadly, a better opinion of himself than the Bible. That's actually why I called this uh, article Sola Scriptura or Prima Luther, the one I referred to you before. Martin Luther allegedly said, My word is the word of Christ. My mouth is the mouth of Christ. Now, I say allegedly because I do have the German, but I don't know the German. Ich bin sehr gewiss, dass mein Wort nicht mein Sorgen Christus Wort sehr so muss mein Mund auch das sein, das Wort erredet. Okay, so obviously my German is horrible, and I, I probably didn't pronounce that right. But you can also translate that, that Martin Luther said, I am confident that it is not my word, but Christ's word, so my mouth is he who utters the words. So Martin Luther basically claimed that his words are the words of Christ. And it was okay that he changed scripture. It's okay he discounted books of the Bible. But that's not the case. 
That's wrong. Now, where did Herb Armstrong teach about this? I'm going to read uh, something Herb Armstrong wrote in 1963. Don't believe me. Now, that's not what Martin Luther said. He said the opposite. Anyway, Herb Armstrong said, Don't believe me. Believe your Bible. Believe God. I always say, check up. Listen without prejudice. With open mind. Then check up. Go to your Bible. Believe what you read there. And that's what I encourage all of you to do. And what I try to say to people is, don't simply believe me. Now, yes, you can believe me that I'm trying to tell the truth, but sometimes I stumble over words and sometimes I make mistakes. But believe what I say if it's backed up by the Word of God or facts of history or other facts. That's what we're trying to tell you. We're not supposed to be... No leader is above Scripture. Martin Luther seemed to think that he was. He was not. Now, there are other areas where Herbert Armstrong and uh, Martin Luther had some similarities and they had some differences. But I'd like to read something that one of uh, uh, Martin Luther's critics wrote. It actually comes from this book I showed you. Yeah, from here. This is from a Catholic source. For if he, that's Martin Luther, founded a religion, it is not the Christian religion established by Christ 1,500 years before. That's true. And people uh, should not pretend otherwise, even though Protestants tend to do so and others do as well. Uh, Herbert Armstrong was part of the Church of God. The Church of God began in the day, on the day of Pentecost, in the book of Acts chapter 2, and has continued throughout history. We hold doctrines that are quite different by those held by Protestant leaders such as Martin Luther, and actually other Protestant leaders of modern days who've distanced themselves from Martin Luther, but who don't truly believe the Bible. We in the Continuing Church of God base our beliefs on the Bible. We don't worship Herbert Armstrong. We do believe God used him to restore certain truths and to uh, help set the proper priority in terms of getting the gospel of the kingdom out of the world as a witness. We do not accept Martin Luther was uh, God's man. Yes, because of Martin Luther, uh, some of the oppression uh, from the Church of Rome was broken, and that, that of itself was a positive thing. But many of the things that Martin Luther actually truly stood for were not appropriate. So if you consider the teachings of Martin Luther and the teachings of Herbert Deborah Armstrong, again, look to the Bible. Because that's what we in the Continuing Church of God believe we should do. Because we believe we should always should obey God rather than men. If you want more information, you can go to the cogwriter.com website where I have this particular uh, article with all the references. Again, we encourage you to believe the Bible, do what God says, and rely on God rather than men. This is Dr. Bob Teal, the Continuing Church of God.